0: This week, on The Other Side Australia, Peter Dutton calls for the voice vote to be delayed or scrapped. Joe Biden's son pleads guilty to minor charges that Donald Trump says are a slap on the wrist. And the Liberal Party's division continues as the feds push a return to core party values while the states continue to go woke. G'day and welcome to episode 211 of The Other Side Australia for the weekend commencing June 23, 2023. I'm Damien Currie, and this is the show where we tell you what our political lens is right up front invite you to listen and sometimes disagree. Enjoy the ride of hearing the views of the other side as center-right and conservative values and viewpoints aren't getting the airtime they used to in the Australian media these days. We don't mind having people with different views on this show. We just think all sides should be heard and ours is probably what you'd call center-right or classical liberal, nothing too weird. But I guess in the minds of Jim Chalmers and the Labor Party these days, that would make us cookers, whatever that means. It's nice as a dad when your kids do something great. You feel proud of them or proud for them, as the politically correct parenting classes teach us these days. And when they do something wrong but recover, you support them and encourage them. But I guess US President Joe Biden has learned to have pretty low expectations of his son Hunter. Because when Joe Biden had to face the reality this week that Hunter was pleading guilty to tax crimes and a gun possession charge, his response was, I'm very proud of my son. Not just proud, but very proud. Wow. Okay, that sends a terrific parental message to the children of the nation. Go forth and become a crack addict. Take prostitutes, commit tax and gun crimes. Make your parents proud. Remember when the president of the United States was a father figure for the nation? Remember the good old days when we actually had respect for the traditional role of the father? The archetype of the strong parent and I guess it could be either gender, no judgment here, but the father archetype, the parent who is responsible for pushing you out into the world, gently and supportively moving you forward, ready to catch you when you fall, but also making you stand up again on your own two feet and rediscover your courage. Hmm, those were the days. Change in America begins at the dinner table. So tomorrow night in the kitchen, I hope the talking begins. And children
1: if your parents haven't been teaching you what it means to be an american let them
0: know and nail them on it that would be a very american thing to do those were the days so what just happened well hunter biden the president's son has been under investigation for five years for tax and paperwork charges related to a handgun purchase Two counts of willful failure to pay federal income tax, as well as one count of a possession of a firearm by a person who is a drug user, something that Hunter admitted in his autobiography, but not on the paperwork when he got his gun license. On Tuesday, he made a plea deal with the federal prosecutors. Hunter would plead guilty to the tax crimes and go on probation over the gun charge, thereby avoiding any jail time. The deal still has to be approved by a federal judge, however. The far left wing cable news channel MSNBC in the US interviewed President Biden back in May in what PR people call a preemptive strike interview. The idea being that when you know bad news is coming, you get out ahead of it and you shape the narrative as favorably as you can for yourself. You do this, by going to the most friendly media outlet you can find. And boy, were MSNBC being good little Democrat Party spin doctors that day.
2: Sir, there is something personal that's affecting you. Your son, while there's no ties to you, could be charged by your Department of Justice. How will that impact your presidency?
1: First of all, my son's done nothing wrong. I trust him, I have faith in him, and it impacts my
0: presidency by making me feel proud of him. Proud and my son's done nothing wrong. Okay, and they say Donald Trump tells lies, reshapes reality and is enabled by a cable TV news network? Seriously? News commentator Tucker Carlson wasn't having any of it. On his new Twitter channel, he gave a masterclass in how this kind of interview is choreographed and framed. Let's start with that clip again, just quickly, and then go into Tucker. This time, Listen carefully to the wording of the question.
2: Sir, there is something personal that's affecting you. Your son, while there's no ties to you, could be charged by your Department of Justice. How will that impact your presidency?
0: First of all,
1: my son's done nothing wrong. I trust him. I have faith in him, and it impacts my presidency by making me feel proud of him.
3: Okay, time for the master class. For free, you can audit it. Here it goes. Sir? Showing appropriate respect, says the shill. There is something personal that's affecting you. Note the wording. Personal, not of public concern, nothing law enforcement might be interested in, but personal, a sad family tragedy. That's the framing. And then this, a sentence choreographed to the letter. Your son, while there's no ties to you, could be charged by your Department of Justice. Got that? While there's no tie to you, So the answer is, in fact, in the question, whatever Hunter Biden goes down for, and we know he is gonna be charged because MSNBC said so, but when that happens, that's Hunter's problem. It's got nothing to do with Joe Biden. Rest easy, America. Nasty stuff, this PR spin doctoring, but it doesn't stop there, oh
0: no. Tucker has a much darker, deeper, and more sinister take on the dealings of Hunter and Joe Biden. If you're not familiar with the Hunter Biden laptop story, and why would you be? Everyone except Rupert Murdoch's New York Post and its Australian senior reporter Miranda Devine buried the story to protect Biden in the lead up to the US 2020 presidential election. And given how close that election was, it's not unfair to say that Trump would have won had that news been properly reported. So just maybe Trump supporters are right to be a little angry and the protest by his most passionate supporters on january 6 2021 at the white house while very naughty was at least understandable unless you're still buying the spin that it was an insurrection but we aren't falling for that here anyway the short of it is that on the laptop were emails and photos that pointed to a pretty sordid kind of lifestyle and one that involved money being paid and funneled allegedly to the biden's in return for some kind of political favoritism when Joe Biden was vice president in the Barack Obama administration. Commentator Dan Bongiorno this week pointed out that it's not the Biden brand that the Democrats are working overtime to protect here, it's the Obama brand. In May, a special committee released some pretty bad findings relating to all of that. In fact, it was five days after that preemptive strike MSNBC
3: interview that this news broke, as Tucker Carlson explains. Five days later, the oversight committee released its findings and they were in fact devastating. Quote, bank records show the Biden family, their business associates and their companies, their many companies, received over $10 million from foreign nationals and their related companies, the committee wrote. Investigators had, quote, identified payments to Biden family members from foreign companies while Joe Biden served as vice president and after he left public office. So actually, there was something there. It was a scandal. Racketeering, money laundering, wire fraud. Those are some of the crimes the Biden seem to have committed, in addition, of course, to selling out the United States for cash. So what would happen to them? Well, Donald Trump had an idea, quote, they'll hit Hunter with something small to make their strike on me look fair. Trump wrote that about two weeks ago, and it turned out those were prescient words. Not only has Biden
0: only been charged with minor crimes, it seems nothing more serious will be
3: forthcoming, which is kind of weird. In fact, the Justice Department just baptized Hunter Biden. A lifetime of sins washed away in an instant. It was a secular miracle. Most miraculous of all, Hunter Biden somehow escaped a FARA charge. FARA is the Foreign Agent Registration Act, and it is exactly what its name suggests. Under federal law, if you are acting as an agent of a foreign nation in Washington, you are required to register with our government to let everybody know. Well, for decades, pretty much nobody in Washington did register under FARA, and precisely no one was ever prosecuted for it. No one. But starting several years ago, the Justice Department began sending people to prison on FARA violations. The official explanation was, we're cracking down on foreign influence in Washington. And of course, privately, everyone in Washington laughed. They knew that was absurd. In fact, it's the opposite of the truth. Foreign powers have never had more power in Washington. Their agents are everywhere, in every federal agency and throughout business down to and including in executive positions at various social media companies. Let's remember, Hunter
0: Biden was on the board of Burisma, a Ukrainian gas company, paid about a million bucks a year. Why? Dunno. Tucker Carlson
3: was pulling no punches in his latest episode of his new show on Twitter. If it was a fair system, Hunter Biden would be first on the list of those next to be charged with a fair violation, in fact, many of them. Hunter Biden was a foreign agent. He never registered as one. But for years, that's exactly what he was. He sold access to his father and other lawmakers to the Chinese and the Ukrainians and countries throughout the world. There's no debate about that. The FBI has known about it for years. For years, they've had possession of Hunter Biden's laptop. But they didn't charge him for it today. They never will. Why? Well, you know the answer. Hunter Biden has good genes. A more interesting question, though, which is another question the feds will never consider, is what does Hunter Biden do for a living now? This is a man with no obvious job and, of course, zero skills. He spent midlife smoking crack. Yet somehow he's managed to live pretty well despite rising inflation. He's been living in big houses in the costliest residential neighborhoods in the world. He's been paying his stripper baby mama 20 grand a month in child support. And he has retained a team of the most expensive lawyers in the country who spend quite a bit of time sending threatening letters to anyone who asks questions about how they're being paid. We can confirm that firsthand. Tucker Carlson laying out the uncomfortable facts and cutting through the spin there.
0: Ouch. Peter Dutton has called for the voice referendum to be delayed or scrapped, saying Anthony Albanese realizes it's doomed to fail and he should just admit it and cut and run. Mr Dutton said Australians weren't ready to vote on the voice to parliament because of a lack of detail demanding in parliament that Mr Albanese recalibrate by instead working on a legislated advisory body and pursuing constitutional recognition separately.
4: Frankly, I think the prime minister's at a point where if he realizes that the voice is going down and that's what all of the polling's indicating at the moment, then he should make it a decision to, that's in our country's best interest. And so, look, you know, I'm going to call it off because it's just going to divide the country down the middle. It's not going to achieve the outcome that we're talking about.
0: Anthony Albanese did what most left-wing people do when arguing on a rational basis. He went for the emotional position, rejecting Peter Dutton's offer of friendship and launching what one newspaper called a scathing personal attack against the opposition leader by saying he'd spoken to federal parliament without a heart. Yes, conservatives have no heart. That old trope. Because they want to, well, conserve things. Well, why can't they just disagree without the personal attacks? Because they have no arguments. That's why. We got the message loud and clear this week from Elbow's Aboriginal Affairs Minister, Linda Burney, that if we don't understand the voice yet, we should. And don't you dare ask anyone to explain what it is or what it will mean. We'll tell you after we change the Constitution. Shut up, racist. Really, have we really come to this? We're having a referendum to change the Australian Constitution. This isn't like just bringing in a law. This is setting a permanent change that will affect all future laws made in our parliaments and our courts related to that part of the Constitution. This is huge stuff and we have a right to know and to ask and we have a right to answers. Deputy Opposition Leader Susan Lay tried to ask some questions in federal Parliament this week and got slapped down and jeered by Labor government MPs.
5: My question is to the Minister for Indigenous Australians. Minister, what areas of public policy will not be within the scope of The Voice?
4: Order. The Leader of the Opposition will cease interjecting. The House will come to order. The Minister for Indigenous Australians has the call.
2: Uh, Can I thank the member opposite for her question? um and say that if she listened more carefully to the debate she wouldn't have to answer that question in relation to order in relation to uh, the role of the voice we have been extraordinarily clear and we have listened to the aspirations of first nations australians uh, through an engagement group through a working group through many discussions on the ground in local communities as well as the expert legal group. I have spoken at length with my colleagues and spoken at length with many people in this house. The answer to the question is that it is stated time and time again that the voice will concern itself with issues that directly affect
0: First Nations people. Okay, but that's the question. If it confines itself to matters concerning First Nations people, how do you define that? Don't all our laws affect First Nations people? I think it's this lack of clarity and the division that this will create between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians that's making so many Aussies think twice about The Voice. Quite apart from the fact that most Aussies believe Aboriginal people are cared for and well-represented enough already. And there's no need to mess with our system of government or constitution to this radical extent to help them. 11 members of parliament are of Aboriginal heritage and they got there on their own merit. That's nearly 5% of the parliament and the proportion of indigenous people in Australia is just over 3%. So there's no racial discrimination here, not to mention, All of the government funded at sea bodies and corporations. So how did we get here? The Voice is an idea that came out of the 2017 Uluru Statement from the Heart. Where did that come from? Well, it came from the First Nations National Constitutional Convention, a four-day meeting of 250 Aboriginal elders and other key figures in Aboriginal affairs. That four-day 2017 convention was run by the Referendum Council. So who's the Referendum Council? Well, they were 16 people who were appointed by Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull and the leader of the opposition, Labor Party, Bill Shorten, back in 2015. Most of those 16 people, not all, but a significant majority could be considered to be left-wing or centre-left-wing politically. It would be very fair to say. They travelled around the country To meet with Aboriginal communities. How many did they meet with? 13. How many people was that? Around 1200. 1200 out of the 880,000 people in this country who identify as ATSI. That's how we got here. I've seen wider consultation processes for local council park renovations. This thing is about changing the Australian constitution. The Uluru Statement issued after the convention calls a First Nations Voice to Parliament to be set up and be enshrined in the Australian Constitution. It also calls for a Makarata Commission to supervise a process of, quote, agreement-making and truth-telling. Now, that suggests some kind of treaty will be the next step. It's time to talk about the Love case. The head of the centre-right think tank, the Australian Institute of Progress, Graham Young, and full disclosure, I sit on the board of that organisation with a few other concerned Aussies. But Graham Young has written a really important piece in the Spectator magazine this week about the Love case. This is an important case in the High Court. It's not about Love, unfortunately. Its full legal name is the Love and Toms versus the Commonwealth 2020 case. It involves two men of Aboriginal descent named Love and Toms. One of them was born in Papua New Guinea and the other one in New Zealand. Now, while of Aboriginal descent, they were not Australian citizens, but they lived here for almost all of their lives and they had permanent residency visas. Mr. Love had been sentenced to 12 months in jail for assault and Tom's to, tw- to 18 months for domestic violence. Now, as they weren't Australian citizens, the federal government proposed to deport them back to PNG in New Zealand in line with their criminal deportation policy. Graham Young writes that these cases have always felt mean to him. Love and Toms are technically in breach of the immigration law and the state has the right to deport them. But to what end? It's not the human rights issue here that Graham's concerned about. It's the precedent that this ruling sets in our law and what it might mean for the rights of people of Aboriginal descent versus the rest of us. The ruling by the High Court, handed down in February 2020, says that Aboriginal Australians could not be classified as aliens, even if they're not technically citizens. They always have the right to stay here under Section 51 of the Australian Constitution. Sounds fair enough, especially in this particular case. But what happens when this principle gets applied to other things in other cases? How will it be interpreted in future cases around Aboriginal sovereignty or Aboriginality? Similar to The Voice, it seems to have created a two-tiered system of fundamental citizenship rights based on a person's ethnic origin or race. And that is a very big precedent to set. And it can't be taken lightly, no matter how just it might seem in this one particular case. Graham has given me permission to share his article with you. So here's what he says. The case means that now, if you're an Aboriginal, you can never be an alien because of your unique relationship to the land and its unique relationship to you. It's a relationship that gazumps citizenship. While the government can make laws about who is or isn't a citizen, they can't decide who is or isn't an alien. As Aborigines can never be aliens, they can never be deported, irrespective of whether they're citizens. Now, the problems with this are actually big, and they bear on the voice to Parliament in a number of ways. Firstly, there's the subjectivity of the concept of Aboriginality. Aboriginality is decided by the test of whether you're of Aboriginal descent, whether you identify as an Aborigine, and whether you're recognised by the elders of the relevant Aboriginal tribe as a member of that tribe. In terms of the voice, which grants special rights to greater political representation, access, and therefore political influence to Aboriginal Australians rather than non-Aboriginal Australians, this gives rise to the potential for significant vote rigging and fraud. The next problem, Graham Young says, is the religious nature of the claim, where the court says, quote, Aborigines have a unique relationship to the land and it has a unique relationship to them. This is a religious or, as the judges say, spiritual claim. But Section 116 of the Constitution says the Commonwealth shall not make any law for establishing any religion and no religious test shall be required as a qualification for any office or public trust under the Commonwealth. Oops. The purpose of this clause was to ensure that no one could be prosecuted or preferred because of their religion. Back in the 18th and 19th centuries, Catholics in England faced many restrictions until the end of the 18th century, they couldn't own land or practice in the professions. In the 19th century, it was still a condition of attending Oxford or Cambridge universities that you affirmed the Church of England's 39 articles. Now, the High Court might argue that it's not a religious or legal claim of ownership, but something akin to biology, like a native plant or a native animal. But how disgusting and dehumanizing a justification that would be? Or maybe, It's a claim based on tenure. But what's the bar for tenure? Not all Aborigines arrived at the same time, and some Europeans have ancestries going back over 250 years themselves. Is it possible for the descendants of first fleeters to ever be aliens? Yet while the High Court majority gave a very concrete ruling in this case about who could or could not be an alien, they reached their desired ends very differently. Rule of law means, among other things, that the law should be consistent, and it's a primary role of judges, using precedents, statutes and logic, to be as consistent as possible. When they fail, so does the rule of law, and it becomes merely the rule of lawyers. What will the court decide when faced with a new chapter in the Constitution giving new rights to Aborigines as the Voice to Parliament constitutional chapter will? We can't know. But what we do know is that in this case, they have given Aborigines rights that no other person has or can ever achieve. And this status goes beyond the rights of citizenship. And this is why Graham says he is concerned with a constitutionally entrenched voice to parliament. And I am too, as are many others. While the government keeps telling us we should already know what the voice is all about and scolding us for not knowing, shut up and vote yes, you racist, This is just bullying us. This thing at this point has unknown and unknowable scope to make recommendations about matters affecting Aboriginal people, which ultimately affect all Australians. The interpretation of the proposed voice amendment to the Constitution will be at the mercy of the High Court, the majority of which we now know, thanks to the Love case, hold a mystical view of Aboriginality affirming the idea that Aborigines are in some way owned by the land and therefore have a higher status than citizenship and the rest of us. These are alarming concepts from a Liberal Democratic point of view, which inject elements into our legal system that are religious, anti-human rights, anti-democratic and authoritarian. And when taken to their logical conclusion, they actually demean Aboriginal people. You know, it really isn't a pleasure being a centre-right Australian like me, or a conservative or right-wing Australian like many who watch and listen to this show, knowing that your main political party is moving away from you, as the Liberal Party has been for the past few years, at least at a state level. But to pick up the Melbourne Age newspaper this week and read that a young Victorian state Liberal MP thinks Menzies is dead and the party needs to forge a new path just confirms that the party is wedded to the appalling strategy of shifting left that has caused them to lose nine out of the past ten elections that they've contested. Matt Back is the shadow education minister in Victoria. That means he is not a backbench member of parliament, but a senior one. He sits on the front bench on the Victorian Parliament, on the opposition side with his fellow Liberals, and if they do manage by some miracle to win government one day, he would presumably become a minister in that government. He wrote in the age, Menzies is dead. It's time for the Liberals to forge a new path. Clinging to the legacy of a government first elected 84 years ago is not a viable strategy for winning elections and governing. This is the the progressives' argument that everything new is better than everything old. This did not impress some elder Liberals. Menzies is the father of the party, a party that he put together out of 14 conservative and centre-right parties in 1944 once he concluded that his own party, the United Australia Party, was at the end of its useful life. He believed the country needed a strong, united non-Labour force. But what are the Menzian values? What does that mean? Well, I put this question to a man who was the son of two liberal federal ministers and who himself was a liberal state premier and a Lord Mayor, Campbell Newman. And I put the question to him in the first episode of the Other Side interviews earlier this year.
6: Liberal Party political leadership run you know, they they run up, they run and go and hide under the doona when the Labor Party or the Greens actually label them and throw things at them, or the left-wing media do, you know, such as move to the move to the right and all that sort of stuff. It is not a move to the right to say taxes should be low. It's not a move to the right to say that people should be encouraged to set up their own business, yeah. to employ people, to actually make profits and actually be able to keep those profits or a large share of those profits. And that's about incentive because that's how we do blo- grow the economy and employ people. That's not right wing, crazy stuff. That's very sensible stuff.
0: They talk about Menzian values. I mean, you hear, because Robert Menzies yep. was the founder of the Liberal Party in a sense. And the, there was there is this view that, you know, he had this core set of values. What, what are the Menzian values?
6: Well, why don't we start from yeah. a bit of a quote? Now, this is this is a book that um, you know it was put out by the Liberal Party about 20 years ago. It's, it's called, called "The For- Forgotten, Forgotten People,", People. Is and it it, it refers. It's 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 a publication which covers a whole lot of speeches Menzies gave on radio, They're radio addresses back right. in the 40s when he was in opposition. So, so Labor Party had government. And he gave these speeches, these speeches, and the, this is one from 22nd of May, 1942. Okay. And so it's, it's, it's 81 years ago, almost. Right. Wow. Okay. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to, this is what he says, where he's defining who the Liberal Party should be representing. And he says, he, he makes some exclusions. He talks about essentially, you know, unions and who are being, you know, unionists are being looked after. He, he talks about, you know, big business and he excludes them. And he okay, so corporations. This, and corporations. Unions, he says working class. Big yeah, stuff, like he the then unions. says this I include the intervening range, the kind of people I myself represent in Parliament, salary earners, shopkeepers, skilled artisans, professional men and women, farmers and so on. These are in the political and economic sense, the middle class. They are for the most part unorganized and unself-conscious. They are envied by those whose social benefits are largely obtained by taxing them. They're not rich enough to have individual power, they're taken for granted by each political party in turn, they're not sufficiently lacking in individualism to be organised for what in these days we'll call pressure politics, and yet, as I have said, they are the backbone of the nation. As it was in 1942, so it is in 2023, that's who the Liberal Party and the LNP should be
0: supporting. Former Premier of Queensland, Campbell Newman, speaking to me back in April. The full interview is available on the ADHTV app. It's episode 201i of The Other Side Interviews, our Tuesday night interview show. Those values are still important. What isn't truly liberal is the way the Victorian Liberal Party is failing to support family values, stand up against the hideous breaches of civil liberties during COVID and the politicisation of the police force that we saw under Dan Andrews' labour. It might be a good idea for Matt Back, a former history teacher, to dig a little deeper on history. Meanwhile, the Liberal Party National Council held its first meeting in a long while last weekend in Canberra, with federal leader Peter Dutton seeming to signal pretty clearly that he doesn't see becoming Labor light as the answer to the party's losses.
4: I truly believe that liberal values reside in the bones of all Australians. I don't think Australians have lost faith in liberalism but I think many have stopped seeing liberalism work for them. And that's why some have turned to Labor and are willing to try its big government experiment. That's why others have become demoralised or indifferent. And I think Australians are crying out for a government which confidently reasserts liberal values, a centre-right government of the classical liberal and conservative traditions. But most importantly, I think Australians are crying out for a government which shows them once again that liberalism works in practice in the cycle of politics as we all know friends parties will be down but they're never out and we've been here before and we came back and i promise you we will come back again
0: so the shift to the left in the liberal party seems to be happening at a state not a federal level peter dutton is moving the party in the right direction when the old media political commentators and Labour pundits start telling the Liberals that they need to soften their policies and become more centre-left, you know the right thing to do is the exact opposite. Peter Dutton is listening to the Australian people and to the Liberal Party grassroots. But the state branches of the Liberal Party seem to be listening to themselves and their little circle of latte-sipping inner-city mates, rather than the grassroots of the party. and this is why membership is falling off a cliff and why people are desperately trying to find alternative parties to join, like the set of right Liberal Democrats, now the Libertarian Party, or the Conservative One Nation and UAP parties. An example of this, running away from its party base, the Party Faithful, happened quite literally at an event in Brisbane this week. Tickets were sold for weeks by the Australian Taxpayers Alliance a classical liberal lobby group and think tank, to an event at an inner city pub in Brisbane to hear a local economist, the state Liberal National Party's shadow treasurer, David Janetsky, and former Senator Amanda Stoker speak about the recent Queensland budget. Around 100 or so people assembled, the types who would be the core base, traditionally, of the middle of the road sort of Liberal Party members only to be informed that the Shadow Treasurer and Ms. Stoker were not gonna show up. Why? Because, sources tell the other side, LNP party headquarters and specifically Queensland LNP State Director Ben Riley had just told them that they weren't allowed to attend. It's understood that the former Senator and the Shadow Treasurer were not happy about that decision, but had to do as they were told. However, we haven't been able to confirm this despite several attempts to contact them. And the reason that they were ordered to pull out by the backroom boys? Oh, you're gonna love this one. It was because a 23-year-old former party member who was kicked out of the party years ago for saying some things that they didn't like, just happens to work for the Australian Taxpayers Alliance who were organizing the event. That was it. Could it get more petty than that? By the way, if you'd like to meet that same 23-year-old classical liberal political chap, You can watch episode 207i of The Other Side Interviews. His name is Barclay McGain, a former member of the party and young liberal leader. So what did big bad Barclay do when he was 19 years old that has the feeble nervous Nellies of the LNP in Queensland afraid to be seen with him? Let's ask. I mean, it must have been something truly awful. What happened
7: was I joined on the day of my 16th birthday. Um, I was very sprightly, very um, engaged and, and committed to the cause. Right. Um, and I always relished the opportunity to shake a hand with a, a politician who had some you know super long ministerial title or whatever. Um, and then, So you
0: were a political nerd, a political of course, junkie? Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. definitely
7: growing yeah. up on the Gold Coast. And before long, um, I ran for the position of Gold Coast Young Olympic Chair, which is the yeah. largest young liberal branch in Queensland and potentially even Australia. And the executive that we formed was actually the youngest in the history of the LNP so um, that was at 19 years old and we were really keen to I guess rejuvenate and revitalize the branch Um, and yeah that was how I guess it all started yep
0: and you you did work for the party for a little while as as well you managed to first get yourself suspended from the LNP in 2019 for a prank. You're a bit of a stirrer. What happened?
7: So what essentially happened was we were trying to grow um, the branch and grow the movement indeed um, and we decided okay, well what's something which is quintessentially Gold Coast and that is schoolies. Um, and we went to schoolies and we decided to interview some schoolies passing by and we asked them a number of questions. You know, what are your thoughts on Scott Morrison who was the Prime Minister at the time? Um, what are your thoughts on freedom of speech? Uh, what are your thoughts on our Australian national flag and national anthem? And it was that final question which elicited a response from one of the school which said something along the lines of we've got to stop celebrating a culture that couldn't invent the bloody wheel which as uh, you can imagine right. okay. um, yeah. you know, yeah. re- referencing the indigenous issue it, it very much um, st- like I guess it stirred up a lot of the people online and um, I ended up being the one who got cancelled just for simply holding the microphone So
0: Right, mm-hmm. okay, so you were chucked out of the party basically for that.
7: That's right, so I was indefinitely suspended um, and that was pending a party investigation. Um, And then at the time I'd commenced working for um, Coalition MP, Andrew Lemming. Um, And the media, um, you know, the the, the ravens and the vultures that they are, um, they decided to write a whole hit piece about it Um, and they they gave the party the heads up and they said, look Barclay, um, we can't deal with this kind of um, reputation damage that you're doing to the brand. Um, And as a result, we're gonna recommend that you um, uh, be expelled. Um, and then, at that point, they gave me the ultimatum of you can either resign or you can be expelled, so at that point, I chose to resign, and at which point I've now been suspended for about five years so yeah.
0: so there's this idea i guess in the party of uh you know we need to uh that we, 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 the, the, the we mm. that they need to sort of be more uh you know responsible mm. and, and to maintain that what they would call party discipline mm. um if you put that in front of the marketing people behind someone like Donald Trump, for example, yeah. or Nigel Farage, yeah. or other people who've really broken through, who've really had cut through, uh, they would say no, actually, yeah. you need to be a little bit controversial, you need to back your position, yeah. you need to be quite strong on some things, yeah. and you need to let your young, particularly your young members, have a bit of a gag. Sure. I can tell you, I grew up as a lefty. So I was a lefty wow. at uni, right? And um, Yeah, I didn't grow up till I was <laughs> in my 30s. Um, but, you know, we did stuff that was outrageous yeah, we said yeah. stuff that was outrageous yeah. i mean really outrageous and we didn't hesitate yeah. to tear down the reputational character yeah. of a conservative politician yeah. just for fun
7: well i think it's the relationship between any organization and the media nowadays if you keep on you know taking action and, and and disciplining the people involved even when there's no necessarily um there's no guilt involved um then you're kind of just giving the bully what they want it's it's like in, in the yeah. playground you know if someone's picking on you one of the worst things you can do is is go and tell a teacher and be a div Or if you just ignore them um, more often than not, they'll eventually lose um, that kind of interest in picking holes in your arguments. So
0: Therein lies the problem, I think, with the yeah. LNP uh, and the Liberal Party nationally Definitely, and what yeah. they're doing and maybe some of the conserv- the Conservative Party in the UK, for our UK viewers. I mean, it's it's this idea that, oh, we're going to appease constantly. Mm. We, we, what, what we don't realise is we're letting the left set the agenda. Definitely. And when you let the left set the agenda and you respond to their agenda on their terms... Yeah right uh, you don't stand up for the fight have a little bit more mongrel than poodle i think uh, as andrew lemming said on this yeah. show a couple of weeks ago we had dr a- dr lemming on to talk about his new sure, yeah. COVID book a couple of yeah. weeks ago um if we don't have that if mm. we don't take the fight up take the fight on yeah. and say well no hang on blah, 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 and you don't push back you just mm. get gradually slowly run over yeah. and you're constantly on the back foot you constantly yeah. look like oh, we are be the, the apologetic one well no I mean, I've watched comedy on the ABC that yeah. is offensive <laughs> as hell yeah. to certain positions. Yeah. And while some people might be offended by someone saying that about Aboriginal culture, uh, and it's probably not the perfect way to frame sure. it posi- you know, yeah. just say, yeah. well, you know, we did bring, you know, colonization did bring, yeah. Yeah. you know, there was a technology gap in the world. Sure. I mean, there's yeah. all sorts of intellectual ways you could frame it and say that more politely. You're 20 something years old right you're at uni it's school well schoolies week these kids that's were probably right. 18 that's seven, yeah that's right? right 17. at the so time. you yeah. know a man who terrifies the queensland lnp 23 year old barclay mcgain who knew he was so powerful as to be able to scare off the shadow treasurer and a former senator from speaking to a friendly home crowd it's pathetic really oh, i like amanda stoker a lot don't get me wrong but amanda sometimes you have to be the one to put the backroom boys in their place You were a former junior minister and senator. You're the face of the show. It's for the backroom people to do your bidding, not you to do theirs. So the event went ahead without them. And in a room full of liberal types, the jokes and mockery at the pettiness of the situation and the party were coming thick and fast. Peter Dutton, this is your home state branch. It's time to put your foot down, sir. Well, it seems we cannot go a single episode without touching on the transgender craze that's sweeping teenage life at the moment. I like to consider myself a pretty open-minded, caring person, but I can't help but feel that a lot of the kids presenting as transgender these days probably aren't. And what we're seeing is a very problematic contagion phenomenon mixed in with a fair degree of typical teenage attention-seeking and rebelliousness, which would all be perfectly sufferable if we did not have adult medical professionals making a buck out of it, over-diagnosing, over-prescribing and conducting irreversible surgery on children before they're ready to make life-altering decisions. When I'm really confused, I like to turn to Dr. Phil. Not really, but a good episode of Dr. Phil recently took a look at this issue. The state of Oregon in the US, not the state of origin, the state of Oregon, the most woke progressive state in the entire United States, passed the Menstrual Dignity Act in August 2021, which requires schools to ramp up the supply of tampons for students in stages. And as of this year, schools in Oregon are required to provide tampons in all bathrooms regardless of gender. One mother of boys is not impressed.
5: $5.5 million is being redirected from the state school fund to provide these products in these bathrooms. Boys do not menstruate. I will not confuse my son and tell him that boys menstruate when he does not have the uterus and he will never ovulate.
0: So Dr. Phil got a few people in to discuss it. A trans activist named Eli Ehrlich, who I think is a biologically female person who identifies as male a child psychiatrist, and a year five school teacher.
2: Transgender boys
5: who might not have their own money to go buy tampons, if they're provided free in the bathroom, it's it's a huge plus.
1: Men do not menstruate, only women menstruate. Now, you can call yourself men whatever you don't want. don't menstruate,
7: but trans men do menstruate.
5: No, Same they as don't. non-binary people. Only women. Menstruating
7: is not exclusive
5: yes, to it cis is. women. No, it's not. Yes,
1: it is. So explain you're, to me as to why you're, my body menstruates at if some point. If your some chromosomes then. are XX and you're young, you menstruate. You're, if you're XY, you don't.
5: Correct, but what
7: about trans men and non-binary?
5: They're We're not men. We're excluding
7: a whole group
5: of they're, people they're who They're women dressed as
1: men. You are not a man. You can pretend to be a man and that's okay, that's perfectly fine, live your life and tell me what a man is. Well, what's a man to you? You define a man for me. You have chromosomes that are X and Y, that's what a man is. So
5: why are we just looking at the the
7: the, the science of this as
0: an the example? Science. Why are we just looking at the science? Um, because it's the science, maybe? I mean, I don't mean to mix up my woke issues here, but I can't help feeling that Jordan would be just the kind of person who'd be insisting that when it comes to climate change, we must listen to the science. But on gender ideology, eh, not so much. Sex and gender identity are two very, they're completely different things. They're not completely different They are completely
5: different.
1: Completely different words.
5: And sex is what you're born with, the sexual reproductive organs you have. Gender is what you identify with. They're t- completely. Well I don't different accept things.
1: that distinction. You have to argue for it. You're just giving a conclusion. You're you're just making it up.
5: I understand that your belief system is very firm for you, but at the end of the day not everybody agrees with that also and it's true. it's an ideology and an indoctrination and you know we've seen some of the images for example that you're promoting of the gender unicorn and introducing children to that ideology asking them are you romantically who are you romantically involved with
0: there's that fine line between teaching acceptance and indoctrination again are we actively promoting gender confusion in kids and over them rather than just helping those who actually are gender confused? Eli Ehrlich is the co-founder of a group called TSER, Trans Student Educational Resources. They invented the gender unicorn.
5: It teaches students of all ages about gender identity, expression and attraction. It teaches them that everything is on a spectrum and they should be able to explore and express themselves. If I had this as a tool when I was eight years old, I would have been so much more comfortable with myself. I would have known who I was and that I wasn't alone. Just to piggyback on that, the signs of gender dysphoria develop very young. Like you can see it in a 3 year old and by the time they're 4 their gender identity is pretty much solidified. So you will see the signs of someone who's not happy with the gender they're born with very little.
1: Actually that's not true. That is not true.
5: You can suppress Most, it. Their gender
1: expression no, it's not is different. True. Gender all expression of the science depends on the, the last fa- all the science for the last 100 years has shown in boys who, who experience gender dysphoria between two and three, 85% of them simply grow up to be gay.
6: Oh, I love that you're
5: saying and this, five- exactly which one this, is, this. And is, I will, the other five, don't interrupt and
1: be rude. The other 5 You don't think that dismissing an entire group of people straight, is being rude. And then there are 1 or 2%... The transgender dysphoria persists into adulthood. At
5: the age of four, a child is not going to know what emotional attraction means versus physical no, attraction. Children, and it is, children do get crushes this, this is a completely age inappropriate <clears throat> product to be putting in front of children and, and hijacking this unicorn concept.
0: Even the experts on the trans activist side couldn't agree what age was appropriate to start teaching kids this stuff. Some are saying as young as four, others said around 11 or 12, so long as it's before puberty, so appropriate action can be taken. As for from the Independent Women's Network, wasn't so sure.
5: There is something that is pure called innocence. And when we have, no, there is something, don't we agree, on innocence and a child. And when we overexpose children to issues of sexuality, it is inappropriate in society. And so it's not I, healthy. And I don't, it don't think absolutely that's what not. they mean. That's,
0: that's not like, what we're doing. Yeah. There was an Aussie woman in the crowd who decided the old white male straight guy was talking too much and being rude so of course she let him know it
2: if it's okay to you for you to call other people rude i'd like to understand from your perspective why you don't believe it's rude and why you think you have a right to when someone identifies a certain way for you to tell them that that is not correct that they are that particular gender or identity
1: why do i feel that it's right to tell them the truth but it's not rude. people the people who hate the truth people who hate the truth are because they see they see the truth is hateful If, if you want to identify in any way you can you're free to do so
0: but that does not mean that the rest of us have to join that illusion and that i think might be the crux of the matter it's one thing to decide that you are in the wrong body and want to live your life as if you're a different gender and you should be able to live your life freely and not be bothered but it's quite another to expect everyone else to accept that, adopt your ideology and use your preferred pronouns. Many trans activists pretend that they just want to be left alone, like this person.
1: If a transgender person is not harming you or the people or you love, why do you care so much? What? No. <laughs> I don't want you to care. Yes, you I do. want you to be quiet. I want you, you to que- stop you being hateful.
0: Oh, yes, but they want him to stop being hateful according to their definition of hate. And they're assuming he is hateful. All I've heard this bloke say is that he's happy to accept trans people and live and let live. But they call him hateful.
1: I disagree with you, and so you call it hate. But there's no hate in my heart at all. So that's You fine. are
5: being hateful when you tell somebody that identifies okay. as a man that they're not a man. No that's not hateful.
0: That's a fact. Yeah, it's a fact. It's a scientific, biological fact. Now, you might say, well, gender isn't biological. It's a felt experience. And okay, maybe that is your ideology. But it's wrong to force the rest of us to accept that and use the pronouns you demand because it's an opinion based on a particular ideology about gender. And the validity of that ideology is highly debatable, despite the fact that lots of people... Seem to like it and entire university courses are built around it
1: being educated on it doesn't affect your sexuality or your gender it just affects your education
0: yeah well i wish that was true i wish it was true that educating kids about all this stuff did not affect their own sense of identity or cause them to question their own sexuality and gender innocently or mischievously but it does and that is the problem Now look, I know that suicide ideation and suicide among trans kids is three times higher than non-trans, and that is a horrible reality. So teaching kids acceptance is important, but here's how we can do that in about 10 seconds hey kids, did you know that a small number of people in the world feel that they're attracted to people who are the same sex as them and some even feel that they're a different gender on the inside than they are on the outside? It's rare, but we should be kind and nice to those people because that's just the way they are and we shouldn't judge people whose shoes we haven't ever walked in. If you want to know more about this, speak to your parents. Or if you really feel you can't speak to your parents, speak to the school counsellor. The end. But to give it much more time than that, or expect teachers to be able to handle all of this is to give too much time and expect too much of teachers. To write it into children's books at every turn, that is moving towards indoctrination. And Drag Queen Story Hour, that really isn't helping, ladies. Leave drag shows in the nightclubs, please. You're not helping us as a society reach this nuanced balance we need to find as a society in order to both protect children's innocence and prevent suicide among kids experiencing confusion about their sexual identity. But we cannot continue to ignore the obvious. All of this catering to gender and sexuality minorities is playing into the hands of kids who during their teen years wanna be cool, wanna be special, wanna be treated differently and admired for being edgy, which is all teenagers. It's a teenage rite of passage So we are definitely seeing a big contagion effect many more kids identifying as lgbtqi plus and it's driving teachers and parents a little crazy i think what we really need is you are not special education and you are not the center of the universe education and stop looking in the mirror and your iPhone and try thinking about somebody else other than yourself for five minutes education and your sexuality is just one tiny part of who you are as a human being so get over it we don't really care education let's teach that stuff at school because right now we may be producing the most narcissistic self-absorbed generation in history and that can't be good for anyone except maybe people who market music fashion and very superficial values And that's all for this week. We'll uh, catch you next Friday for The Other Side Australia. And don't forget on Tuesday night, The Other Side interviews streaming at 6pm. We've got a very big interview show coming up this Tuesday. Do not miss it. And all our shows, of course, are available on demand at any time thereafter, as always, on the ADH TV platform, which you can access online, on any web browser, just by typing in adh.tv. Or you can find us by downloading the app and using the app, which is like a Netflix interface. Um, so please do either of those things or join us uh, on YouTube if you like. You can see a lot of our clips as well at ADHD on YouTube. And don't forget this show, The Other Side of Australia, your weekly shortcut summary of the news and commentary of the week, streaming every Friday night at 8 p.m. And if you like the show, remember our saying, don't just like it, share it. The independent media needs your support to keep on doing what we're doing. You have a great week and we'll catch you soon.